0: There have been a lot of artistic depictions of Jesus throughout the ages, but most definitely the one that is most constant and dominant is the image of Jesus as the good shepherd. You In Matthew's gospel, it was written in Syria sometime between the 50s and 60s. And Matthew highlighted Jesus as the good shepherd in chapter 9 when he talked about people being harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And he did it again in chapter 18 when he retold the parable of the lost sheep. Uh, the, the image of Jesus as shepherd became the dominant image of Jesus in Syria because of Matthew's work there. You know, Mark wrote to the busy Romans, and he identified Jesus as the good shepherd, too, in Mark 6. When, he, when Jesus fed the 5,000, uh, read that story and see how Mark paints Jesus as the feeding shepherd and how they're, like, laying down on pastures. It's, it's wonderful. You know, First Peter was also written in Rome and twice called Jesus the good shepherd. And the image of, of Jesus as shepherd appears in Hebrews 13 as well, which was also um, written in Rome, it is presumed. Uh, like in Syria, the, the image of Jesus um, as um, shepherd became a favorite among the early Roman Christians. Uh, the portrayal of the good shepherd appears everywhere in catacombs and early artwork in Rome. You know, Syria and Rome weren't the only places where the good shepherd imagery resonated. It was popular among Christians in Asia Minor as well. The mid-2nd century um, bishop of Smyrna, Polycarp, referred to Jesus as the shepherd of the church, which is a wonderful title. Roughly 80 to 90 years before Polycarp said that, the Gospel of John was written in Ephesus, the Asian capital of the day. And John's gospel ends with Jesus restoring Peter, asking him to feed his lambs and his sheep. From a literary perspective, it's amazing that these fishermen who knew the world of fish and trade and a tax collector who knew the world of government and economics, it's amazing that they drop their occupational language of fish and coins and economics and government. They don't paint Jesus as a political or governmental leader as Matthew would have been tempted to do. And they don't paint paint Jesus as a fisherman or an entrepreneur as James and John and Andrew and Peter might want to do. They paint Jesus in agricultural colors with agricultural paint. Isn't that amazing? They paint him as a shepherd. And yet by trade, he wasn't even a shepherd. He was a part-time builder and a part-time teacher. What does the image of shepherd say about Jesus and what does it say about us? If he's our shepherd, who are we? The image of Christ as our leader a good, compassionate, watchful, present, protective, strategic leader, shepherd, has compelled people throughout all history. And yet, we really struggle with allowing Jesus to be that leader, the shepherd, the one we truly follow with everything. We all, like sheep go astray. We often put limits on how and where Jesus can lead us. You know, the psalmist confession that we look at today is a confession that we need to be led to certain places for a certain outcome. Uh, I read an article this week from a fellow clergyman who's black. His name's Esau McCauley. He was writing about um, how he's parenting his 13-year-old son through this racial reckoning moment we're in and the challenges that um, there is in that and like where he is struggling to tell him the truth or like protect him as a 13 year old. And he mentioned in the article that a son asked him this week, why is there a trial when there's a nine minute video? And it's kind of like an obvious thing a kid would ask. One of the things in this article that he noted is that a basic teaching of Christianity is that humans are capable of profound and confounding evil. I think that's a very helpful observation, especially in the hour in which we live. We are capable of profound evil and pain. Not just when we look at how humans treat each other in society. That's easy to see right now. But but what's harder to see is the pain that comes from leaders. Leadership, structures, organizations, hierarchies, individuals, leading flocks of people. We, leaders, even people in my position, a pastor, a leader of a ministry, we are capable of profound evil and pain. Here's the problem with Jesus as the good shepherd or Jesus as the good leader. No matter who you are, and I know the experience in pain varies depending on who you are and how you look and where you come from, where you don't come from, but all of us, all of us, without exception, have suffered, have experienced, and endured various forms of bad, not good, bad, not godly, leadership or shepherding. I don't want to be Eeyore or Debbie Downer, you know, but most of the time when I watch or read the news as a leader, I think bad leadership. That's the fruit of bad leadership. You know, that was probably bad parenting. Uh, you know, I'm a futurist and I'm a why guy. So I often try to get to the bottom of things. And um, and so much of the pain, and I, I wonder like how much of the pain that we see in our lives, in our communities or in the news is a result of a failure of leadership. In whatever realm, leadership in the home or leadership at a school or leadership in a city or so much of our pain, I think, comes from bad, broken, sinful, at times evil uh, leadership. Those, uh, a leader is someone that has influence and power. That's what a leader is. You know, if, you're, if you have influence, you, you're a leader. The, the problem with Jesus as the Good Shepherd, here's the problem with it. It's not his problem, it's our problem, is that we're all traumatized some way, somehow, by bad shepherds, bad leaders, bad parents, bad siblings, bad teachers, bad pastors, bad cops, bad politicians, bad civic leaders, bad policies, fill in the blank. (laughs) If that's discouraging for you, then I think you're getting it. Romans says, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are exempt from that, not me. We're all born sinners and we're, we all contribute to the sin problem on this earthly level in various ways. We need godly leadership. First and foremost, from God himself. We also have lots of PTSD and bad experiences when it comes to being led here on the earth. There's no getting around that. Here's why I'm saying that Jesus as the good shepherd or as the good leader is a problem. Think of it like this. I see this all the time in our work discipling people and in our own own lives. If you didn't have a dad or you had an absent dad or you had an abusive dad, it's difficult to receive God as your Abba, your daddy, your father in heaven. It's not impossible, and in fact, it's necessary, uh, but it's difficult. If you've had an abusive mother or an absent mother or a mother who criticized you all the time, it's difficult to see the church as your mother. It's not impossible, and in fact, it's necessary, but it's difficult. There's a problem, there's a challenge. If you've been abused uh, spiritually, if, if all you know is the bite of the wolf or the bite of a gaslighting narcissist, it's difficult to receive Jesus or anybody, for that matter, as a shepherd. It's not impossible. In fact, it's necessary, but it's difficult. Hopefully, you get the point. No matter who you are or how you are, you have a challenge when it comes to submitting to the leadership of Christ, whether you're aware of it or not. In fact, I'd say if you're not aware of whatever challenge is in front of you, that's a bad sign. You know, daily, every day, we wake up and, and our flesh kind of meets us at the bed. And and we gotta take up our cross to follow the leadership of Christ so that he can lead us in paths of righteousness, paths that are pleasant, paths that are of peace, paths that are right relationships, which is what righteousness means. Righteousness means right relationships. Um, We have this need every day to take up our cross, follow Jesus as he leads us on paths of righteousness, paths of peace, of right relationships for his glory, not our glory, And if you can't name that cross that's at the bed every morning when you wake up, you might have an uh uh-oh moment on your hands. You know, this, this challenge, this cross, this struggle, this pain is not, listen, it's not something to despise or neglect. It's actually where God's meeting you. And it's a challenge you need to work through and steer through, journey through, so that in indeed, in substance, in practice, not just in word or belief or in assent—but but in practice, Jesus can fully become your leader, your rabbi, your lord, your captain, your master, your CEO, your good shepherd. There's a challenge there. It's not God's challenge. It's it's our challenge. You know, we've been studying Psalm 23 for the past few weeks, and today we'll focus in on the second half of verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Before we double-click on it, let's read the whole Psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores My soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hear the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, I've romped pretty heavy on the image of Christ being the good shepherd and the, and the leadership he offers us, so I don't think I need to double back and labor on that anymore. If you stare at this verse long enough, the question may hit you. Why is it important for Christ to lead me in paths? Plural, paths, paths, not just a path, but why is it important for Christ to lead me in paths of righteousness? I'm glad you asked the question. You're so observant. I'm so proud of you. As it turns out, if a flock of sheep stay on the same pasture, even for a week, they will overgraze the field. They'll turn paths into ruts and cause environmental havoc in what was otherwise a green pasture seven days prior. If the flock is poorly managed with an indifferent or ignorant shepherd, they will not only turn a green pasture into a destroyed wasteland, they will bring poverty and destruction to the shepherd and the owner. No other class of livestock requires more careful handling or detailed instruction as sheep. You know, the greatest thing a shepherd can do for his flock, like the number one thing, is to keep them on the move leading them on different paths, paths that lead to righteousness or pleasantness or peace or right relationship so that the livelihood and the reputation of the shepherd doesn't tank. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, for his reputation. Are you starting to see it? A good shepherd, a competent one, is a strategic shepherd and a, a shepherd with a plan. They have a predetermined plan to rotate the flock through various pastures to prevent disaster in the environment. Usually they'll go out into a pasture and radiate outward in the shape of a clover, keeping the sheep guessing and always moving and not trampling on the same places. A good shepherd leads the flock where they need to go for their benefit, but also for his. So why am I accenting to you that following Jesus as the good shepherd is a problem. The scripture points out that many of us are stiff-necked and stubborn. That's a description of a hard-to-lead animal, stiff-necked and stubborn. We, we honestly prefer the rules of Burger King. However, the kingdom of God isn't Burger King. You can't have it your way. We're stiff-necked and stubborn. We want to do what we want to do, how we want to do it, when we want to do it. We go astray. Our pride, our ego, our self-will, the flesh can rule the day at times honestly without us even knowing it. We human beings are more like sheep than we care to admit. We are often stiff-necked, stubborn, and we, as I mentioned in the beginning, have an incredible power and capacity for self-destruction and trauma, are you uh, are you encouraged yet? You know when someone repeats themselves, it's it's like really important, or or, or it should be. Um, when the Bible repeats itself, it's like really, 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 really ridiculously important. Kind of like Derek Zoolander. Um, some of you got that joke, but Proverbs repeats it. Proverbs repeats itself in chapter 14 and chapter 16. And I remember reading this verse in chapter 14 as a kid, and then I read it again two days later because you do the chapter of the day thing on the 16th day of the month. And I, I read um, chapter 16, and I thought I mistakenly read the wrong chapter, chapter 14, because it repeated itself. And I discovered that the Bible repeated itself uh, in in like two chapters, Proverbs 14 and 16. And it stood out to me as a young man. And and to this day, um, Proverbs 14 and 16 is the most memorable proverb to me. And, And honestly, it's the most terrifying one. The repeating proverb is this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. If that doesn't keep you up, (laughs) I don't think you read it. This is one of the scariest verses in the scripture to me. There is a way, there is a path that I'm convinced is right in my own earthly wisdom, but in the end, the path doesn't lead to righteousness or life or right relationships or pleasantness or peace where I thought it led. It actually leads to the opposite. It leads to death. It leads to destruction. Have you ever been so convinced of something that you thought you were right and then later you were so surprised that you were utterly wrong and could not be more wrong? You know, there's like disillusionment when that happens. Every Dallas Cowboy fan just said, Pastor, stop. Stop preaching at me. You know, and I got to tell you, listen, the Cowboys are not going to win the Super Bowl this year. Every year you go, This is our year. No, stop it. It's not going to happen. There is a way, there's a path that seems right but it's actually not going to happen. It leads to death. We need, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, sorry. We need to yield to the good shepherd who will lead us on a path. And that path does not lead to death. It's a path that leads to life. It it leads to righteousness, to right relationships, to the loving of neighbor, to a a way in which we um, operate within the flock that actually gives glory to God. And in case you think you're exempt, in case you think that you don't follow a path that leads to death at times, Isaiah paints the gospel like this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him, Christ, the iniquity of us all. If you don't think that you occasionally go on paths that lead to death, you've got a bone to pick with with Isaiah. My favorite line in the hymn "Come Thou Fount" is the line that says, "Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it; prone to leave the God I love." Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for like courts above. Do you hear the the confession and the surrender in that? You know, know, I'm prone to wander. The confession and then the surrender. Here's my heart, Lord, take it, seal it. Do what you can do with this heart. It's my favorite line in the song because it's true of me. I've been learning. A lot about the ins and outs of actual shepherding uh, with like a real flock and how it relates to us as people from a guy named Philip Keller. I highly recommend his book on the 23rd Psalm. I've learned so much um, about this. And it's, um, this thing I want to share with you, uh, it's just impossible to improve on. So I'll quote him. And if it offends you, you can send him your angry email. He says, the stubborn, self-willed, proud, self-sufficient sheep, that persists in pursuing its old paths in grazing on its old polluted ground will end up a bag of bones on ruined land. The world we live in is full of such folk. Broken homes, broken hearts, derelict lives, twisted personalities remind us everywhere of men and women who have gone their own way. We have a sick Society struggling to survive on beleaguered land. The greed and selfishness of mankind leave behind a legacy of ruin and remorse. Amid all this chaos and confusion, Christ, the good shepherd, comes and says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But most of us, even Christians, simply don't want to do this. We don't want to deny ourselves, give up our right to make our own decisions. We don't want to follow. We don't want to be led. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He also said, as Philip Uh, quoted, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So many of the early church fathers and mothers have said that nine tenths of following Christ lies in the will when you allow your will to be put to death, when, when you can say to your heavenly Father, your kingdom come, your will be done, hallowed be your name, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory. When you can say, not my will, but yours be done, when you get to that spot, then you know that you have picked up your cross that day to follow the good shepherd on paths of righteousness for his glory. you know in that moment, at least in that moment, that you have allowed the Spirit to soften your stiff neck, to soften your stubborn heart. You've, in that moment, surrendered your will and your agenda and even your rights and your preferences to the Good Shepherd. I wonder if there are any ways or areas of your life that haven't been fully, 100% surrendered to the lordship and the leadership and the shepherding and the care of Jesus, the good shepherd. I know this is church, and we're not supposed to be honest. It's a church joke. But if we can be honest, we all have areas that need more surrendering to the power of the Spirit, that need more surrendering to the leadership of Christ. The Bible calls that sanctification. That's the $15 theological word to to describe the process in which God gets more of you, and, and in the end, you get more of him. Never before have we needed more of the leadership of Christ in our lives, in our families, in our Communities, in our church, in our nation, in our world. I I intentionally try to refrain from um, giving you things to do or like, um, shoulding you and and like um, telling you you ought to do this or you ought to do that. But here, the encouragement or the admonishment, however you receive it, is we need and we ought and we should all surrender to Jesus's leadership, to his lordship, to his shepherding, so so that he can move us off the tired and desolate fields of this earth. He has paths of righteousness, of right relationships, of peace, of, of plenty, of shalom, that he longs to lead us in. And it's not just for our benefit, although it is we do get a benefit. It's ultimately for his glory, for his honor, for his praise, for his renown, for his reputation, for his name's sake. Will you follow him more closely today? Will you surrender your will and your agenda and all your hurts and hang ups to him? Will you take up whatever cross is before you? He is the way. Jesus, we surrender all of that to you, God, and we invite you to come and to reveal, shine light on all the areas in which we are stiff-necked and stubborn. Shine light on all the areas where we despise and refuse your loving, tender care, even your loving discipline. Lord, give us the will and desire to do what pleases you. Give us the ability to come to you to experience your kindness that leads us to repentance. Surround us, God, with your kindness and help us to see that you are indeed the good shepherd. You are a leader worth following. You are the best leader we could ever know. Lead us, even as a church, through this pandemic, out of this pandemic. Lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake that you want us to travel upon. Lead our country, lead our nation, lead our communities in paths of righteousness. For your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.